Now, this is a story that uh, was uh, in the headlines in <clears throat> December and uh, not too much uh, focus on it in South Africa as, as per what I've detected. Uh, the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, offered a formal apology on behalf of the Dutch state for the Netherlands' historical role in the slave trade, saying slavery must be recognized in the clearest terms as a crime against humanity. In a speech delivered December, as I said, at the National Archives in The Hague, he acknowledged that the past quote, cannot be erased, only faced up to, and uh, but for centuries he said the Dutch state had enabled, encouraged and profited from slavery. People, he said, were commodified, exploited and traded in the name of the Dutch state, adding that it is true nobody alive today bears any personal guilt for slavery, but the Dutch state bears responsibility for the immense suffering of those who were enslaved and their descendants. And today, he said on behalf of the Dutch government, I apologize for the past actions of the Dutch State. Uh, to get a perspective from South Africa, from uh, Cape Town even particularly, which had uh, the most direct impact here in South Africa with the Dutch slave trade, uh, I'd like to welcome on board this evening uh, the author of the book called The Lie of 1652. A, decolo a decolonized history of land is a writer, heritage activist, and former liberation movement cater, Patrick Tariq Mel. Patrick, great to speak to you this evening. Uh, welcome to Radio Islam. Uh, thank you, Brian. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, and uh, it's great to have you on board this evening. I want to uh, just reflect on that uh, observation that I've made. I'm not sure if you share the same. Uh, whatever the, our analysis will be on the story as we'll unpack it this evening, uh, does it surprise you that uh, a country that has had such a direct impact from the uh, slave trade being South Africa, this story doesn't seem to have been discussed much in our public spaces, in our media? Yeah, look, you know, when, when I first heard about the apology and then went to read it in detail and read the document that uh, uh, the, the, the Dutch government had commissioned um, uh, on which the apology is based, I ended up saying, what apology? Uh, to be able um, to apologize, the basic requires you to name what it is that you're apologizing for. And um, nowhere in this document uh, is Cape Town, uh, South Africa, um, or even the Southeast Asian countries mentioned. There's one line in the whole speech, and I, I read it for you. In Asia, between 660,000 and over 1 million people, we don't, know, we don't even know exactly how many were traded within the areas under the authority of the Dutch East India Company. Full stop. Nothing else in the entire apology is about the Dutch Indian Ocean slave trade, the um, devastating you know, dislocation of peoples across Southeast Asia and and East Asia and as far as China, nothing mentioned about that. The entire document focuses on Suriname uh, and uh, a number of uh, Caribbean island countries and, um, and on the west, uh, the, 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 the uh, what is it, they, they call it, the, the, um, the West African slave trade. So 
I say to myself, what apology when it comes to uh, slavery at the Cape? We know that um, around about 120,000 enslaved people were put on boats destined for the Cape. We know in the Dutch period, that is about 154 years um, from 1652 through to um, the time that the British took over 1806, 63,000 first-generation enslaved people from over 105 different localities, which all can be named, were brought to the Cape. Nothing in this apology about that whatsoever. So I say for, for us in South Africa and the Cape, um, what apology? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, um, it's a sloppy, backhanded apology if it's can be called an apology. It lacks in depth and it lacks in meaning. And even the document that they developed uh, called uh, the chains of the past, you know, because what the Dutch prime minister was doing was he was responding to this commissioned uh, study, the chains of the past, um, when he was making the apology. But it doesn't really go into Indian Ocean uh, slave trade in any real meaningful way. And here, I'm not just talking about this, the, the enslaved at the Cape, because we are talking about the enslaved from the East African coast, from Madagascar, from uh, India, from Sri Lanka, from uh, West Bengal, from Myanmar, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Sulawesi, Java, Timor, right through uh, 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 um to uh, Sumatra as well, right through to Japan and China. Absolute nothing mentioned. Then, if you think about it too, the entire apartheid system that was developed, its foundations was actually the relations uh, of uh, masters and slaves at the Cape. Not mentioned at all. So I, I, I end up still saying, what apology? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not hearing a real apology. And then I read in the document that they have made 200 million, um, no, not 200 million, was it? Yeah, 200 million euros available. Um, and they're going to kick all of this off with a fanfare in July this year and so on. Um, but for what? Where's this going to go? Now, you know, in my book, I talk about restorative memory has to come before you can actually craft restorative justice and restitution. Now, this restorative memory is what I've just talked about now. If you're not on record as saying, this is what we did to these people in these places, then what does it mean? Are you going to give this huge amount of money away to researchers, probably in the Netherlands. Um, uh, what is this? What, what is this animal that they're calling a, 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 an apology? That's what I'm left with asking. And like, like you've referenced in that uh, answer, you, uh, we, we have many who've, who've said that there have not been enough consultation 
uh, with uh, the, the descendants and people have said, uh, you know, the, this speaks to the Netherlands still showing uh, the colonial attitudes that were present during that, uh, that, that era of slavery. So j just to, to uh, consolidate what you've said, for, uh, you know, trying to understand uh, the, these movements for restorative justice, uh, the reparations for slavery, reparations for, for racism, colonialism, and so forth. What, what would the ideal way, in your view, be uh, to, to these kind of uh, causes? And uh, in terms of reparations, uh, should reparations be on the agenda and how should they be uh, you know, shared out given the long passage of time? Yeah, look, in the document, they acknowledge descendants, but there, there, there's not been any meaningful um, dialogue uh, or consultation. Now, the first thing that should have been done even before an apology, is that they should have set up a team in the Netherlands where they're also descendants of enslaved people. Um, and then drawn from the different uh, sort of, let's say, continents, um, Asia, Africa, um, Latin America, the Caribbean, receiving countries and sending countries, so as to say, draw a proper team together and let them go to all of these localities where people were taken from and hold public hearings. So let the public who are descendants come forward and testify at these uh, uh, um, uh, 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 panels that are, that, that, that are set up. Once they've got all of that information, which will include people making suggestions on what reparations should happen and so on, then you can say okay, this is the document that the Dutch government is considering with a view to making an apology. And then that apology can't be a sloppy backhanded thing like they did. It's got to be very detailed that this is what you're apologizing for. You know, for instance, in, in uh, Batavia, which uh, uh, previously was Jayakarta and today is Jakarta, um, the largest population were what was called the Peranakan Chinese. And on one week in 1740, the Dutch massacred 10,000 of these people. Some of these people ended up as exiles at the Cape. You cannot deal with an apology without mentioning something like that. There also has to be mention of colonialism, that the Dutch occupied territories for a long time, like the Cape, you know, 154 years they occupied, and then they, they basically sold the Cape to the British. The British came here, they came to an agreement, and the Dutch was, was compensated by so many uh, uh, um, hundreds of thousands of pounds for, for handing over the Cape. When it came to the end of slavery at the Cape, which was during the British time, the masters were paid out. The enslaved, in fact, had to pay the masters by working four years extra from 1834 to 1838 as so-called apprentices. It's in the detail of what happened. Then there is, you know, the kind of uh, uh, um, uh, atrocities against human beings. You know, what people actually suffered, you know, from 
being chained and carrying passes to having women having their breasts pulled off with hot tongs, being hanged, drawn and courted, garroted, impaled. In the Cape we had for a hundred years, we had crucifixions by the Dutch and mainly of slaves. So this has to be spelled out. An apology has to be an apology for something. You can't just simply use this word and say, well, we apologize for this and make some very broad statements. The apology comes after really thoroughly looking at the situation, going and consulting with the people that were affected, hearing what they call crimes, and then the Dutch must call it a crime. You're apologizing for a series of crimes. And these are the crimes. This is where it was committed. These were the localities. I've you know, named 105 locations just for where the enslaved at the Cape came from. Um, and somehow or other, they've also got to facilitate the communication between descendants in all of these territories. Families over 300 years now have not had closure on sudden disappearances of people in various locations. Um, knowing where they came to, whether they came to the Cape or whether they went to uh, uh, Suriname or the Caribbean islands and so on, it all has to be spelled out. And then that apology has to be a solemn affair where the representatives of all of these localities are standing in front of you and you are actually personally apologizing. And then you can put forward when we did our consultations, this is what the people said about reparations, about restitution, and we've taken that on board, and we are going to make restitution in this way, in that way, in the other way, to descendant communities. We, for instance, in the Cape here, we have a huge part of our population who are backyard dwellers. We don't have homes, and it goes right back to forced removals that happened in 1652 and onwards. Um, we talk about the expropriation of land without compensation, which is a very important issue. But there was also expropriation of labor without compensation. And how are we addressing this? Because descendants are having huge problems. The unemployment rates, for instance, on the Cape Flats is very, very high. Um, the substance abuse is high. How does restitution address these things specifically? And I'm sure that in Myanmar, people will have things to say in Bengal, in Sulawesi, in Sumatra. Every place will have some form of reparation that they would put forward. And then the government of the Netherlands must consider that. And where they handed over scenarios to the British, like here in South Africa, the, the British also have to be held accountable. And so the Dutch and the British need to talk about how they account together for a system that went on for so long. Um, you know, the, uh, I read in this text, too, there's, you know, if you take this thing here uh, where they say we don't know exactly how many. Uh, you know, South Africa has produced many, many books by very fine scholars, you know, that have recorded this entire slavery period. It's not that people don't know what's going on. Clearly, they didn't give a proper brief to that study that was done because some of the experts have actually studied in the Netherlands too. And uh, in Southeast Asia, there are people that have written about this. 
in South Africa, there have been people that there's even people in America who have written about this. There are volumes in great detail about slavery at the Cape and the Indian Ocean slave trade. The Dutch Prime Minister cannot say we don't even know exactly how many. Then he's not had a proper study done. You know, that, that would be my response to it. Uh, Tariq, I just need to go for a very short commercial break, and after that I'll conclu uh, conclude this discussion with you, uh, just looking at uh, your own uh, research into your own family tree and uh, the slave ancestors uh, that uh, are, lie in your family line. Uh, also just a bit about your, your books uh, and the, the, the crux of what, what they are about. I'll be back with that in just a bit. Sure. Back with uh, Patrick Tariq Mallet talking to us about uh, the Dutch apology, or as he's explained, uh, non-apology or not uh, not enough 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 depth to an apology uh, that it has made with regard to its uh, slavery uh, and its crimes of slavery, historic uh, crimes of slavery. Uh, I've read here, uh, Tariq, about your personal research, lifelong interest in slavery, and your own family tree, which I believe has, uh, you, you've managed to trace back for 500 years and includes 24 slave ancestors from Africa, India, and Southeast Asia. So very much a living part of your heritage and, uh, you know, the, these uh, uh, apologies or non-apologies uh, re really uh, s something that you you would take very seriously uh, because of the, the the richness of which uh, the uh, this crime of slavery has affected your personal life absolutely it's a, it's it's a very personal thing it's been uh, i sometimes call it my magnificent obsession you know because i can trace back my thinking around this till the age of 8 years old you know in district 6 where my mother was a, a laundry attendant, laundry shop attendant. Um, as you say, as you said, I have I have enslaved ancestors that came from uh, Kerala in India. It came from West Bengal. It came from the border areas of China and and Myanmar. Uh, the Dai people. Um, I have uh, ancestors from Timor. I have ancestors from Sulawesi. Um, from China and from Japan and from Madagascar, Ethiopia, and uh, um, and then locally born uh, uh, generations of slaves in South Africa. You know, when I mentioned that figure earlier on of 78,000, that's first generation. You must remember that their children and their grandchildren and great grandchildren were all enslaved. So the figure is really much bigger when you when when you get back to it. But I trace back, you know, and try to get to know the personalities and so on um, of my enslaved ancestors. I have also five Khoi ancestors, and I have uh, uh, around 19 base European ancestors too. And I wouldn't be who I am if I tried to cut off any one of those. Um, I take great inspiration from them because when I have studied slavery at the Cape and what people had to go through. You know, I say to people when they're asking me, what are you? I say, you know, I'm born of a people who rose above adversity. It's, that is my pride, that people face the worst adversities you can get in life. You can't get worse than enslavement and all that goes with it. And they rose above that adversities and they still rise. So for me, it's a very great source of pride 
And um, I found that South African history was very, very skewed. Um, and I, uh, one day I was reading a maritime history because I've worked in the maritime environment and so on. And a figure jumped out at me of um, just under uh, about, what is it, 1,700 1, and something um, uh, ships passed from the Netherlands via the Cape to uh, East Asia. So I, and they gave the dates, you know, from, from 1600 to 1700. So I then said, let me try and find out what happened between 1600 and 1652. And I found that 1,050 of those ships came here before Van der Beek came here. So immediately it put this thing in my head of, but we've been fed a lie. And those ships, I then went into records in the Netherlands because they got all the ship's logs there. So I went into that and I did all the mathematics and around about 120,000 Europeans came to the Cape before Jan van Riddick. Now, that kind of flow of population um, and, and shipping, they required local people, indigenous people, to service them. And we have records of various people like Achimoa, like Kore, and so on. And, uh, and that then said to me, you know something, I need to write a different type of history book. Not one in which I want to tell people what they must believe, but to show people the journey that I have taken around a whole range of historical themes. But also, one of the chapters is dedicated to enslavement at the Cape. And... Um, and that is where I went into 105 localities because I looked at various logs and so on to see which places did people actually come from. Because it's not like we're just talking about the enslaved. It's very deep personal. You want to now know what were these people, men and women, and they, what were their belief systems and uh, where did they come from and what is the culture in that area that they come from and are there reflections of those cultures with us today in our more creolized culture. And that's where I was inspired to write, uh, write The Lie of 1652. It's gone into um, five reprints so far in two years, about 10,000 copies, and it's still selling well. And people are still discussing it and still interested. Then people said to me, well, my publishers came to me, and they said to me, people want to know why would somebody like you write such a book? They want to see what your life was about. So that is when I wrote Cleaner's Boy, because my mom was a, she was being called Cleaner's in the 66, and I was called Cleaner's Boy. And um, so I wrote Cleaner's Boy, which is now on the shelves, and it's, it's, it's selling well. But that tells my story, and it's subtitled Resistance Road to a Liberated Life. I swam against the current, and I did not do as I was told to do by the apartheid regime. I fought it. I chose to resist. And, um, and it's that life of resistance that inspired me to write this book, which is a kind of history book, an alternative history book. But its aim is not to tell people what they must believe. Its aim is to stir people to go and find the real stories behind uh, the nonsense that we were taught. And, you know, I'll give one example. You know, we had this coins and we had the banknotes and stamps and it had this man with his wavy hair, this handsome Dutch dude with a wavy hair. And we were told this is Jan van Riebeek. And it was all a lie too, because that picture is of a man by the name of Mr. Vermeiden. His portrait 
uh, is in the Rijks uh, Museum in 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 uh, the Netherlands, and the picture of his so-called Maria van Riebeek is also not her. That was the mistress of Mr. Vermeiden, and her name was Miss Ketterin. And that's the kind of level of lies that we were we, we were taught. And if we're going to find ourselves, and if we're going to be able to craft justice and restorative justice, we first have got to get the story right. You know, I, and I often use District 6 as an example. I say, look, District 6, there were over 70,000 people living there. It got broken down street by street. They bulldozed everything. People were forced out. So it, my knowledge of District 6 is that the vast majority of those 70,000 were tenants. They didn't own their land. And now they're trying to craft restitution based on show us your title deeds. Now, most of those people that have been living there over a century and a half have paid for those dwellings over and over again in the form of rent. And they were forcibly removed. Are they not entitled to restitution? Or should restitution only be for people, you know, maybe less than 1% of that, that owned a title deed to a property? And this is one of the biggest problems in South Africa today, is that we're not really addressing the issue of the disruption of lives and of, of, of impoverishment. Um, We're we, we, we finding, like the Dutch are doing now with this, this exact same thing, they, they come up with a kind of formula that is acceptable to themselves, um, the ruling classes, and then they say that they've done justice by doing X, Y, and Z. It's the real story that's going, you know, the many backyard dwellers that we have, people living on the streets, living in pandokis and so on and that. That's what we need to change. You can't say and pat yourself on the back after 30 years. We've done a long list. We get presidents coming on TV and going to parliament and telling us the long list of things that they ought to have, you know, us pat them on the back for doing a, a good job. No, it's an iota of what has to be done in the country, what has to be transformed. And poor people are just in the same place that poor people have always been. When you know, I had a single mother, we were poor. When I went out to work, I earned 10 rand a week for a 60-hour week, Monday to Saturday. And I was 16 years old, and I didn't have a high, full high school education. I had to educate myself through nighttime studies and that kind of stuff over, over many years. And I look at our youngsters now, and they're coming out of school, and they've got no jobs, they've got no apprenticeship system, they don't have places in universities, they're going into a hopeless space, and then we wonder why we have all of these problems that we have. Um, it's not rocket science. True restitution has to deal with these nuts and bolts issues, and they're not being dealt with. We fought, I'm a veteran of the liberation struggle, MK, etc., uh, we fought for something called people power. Instead, we got party power. And it's not the same thing. Um, and, and, and the word democracy, it's an old Greek word, demos kratos, people power. <laughs> we don't have democracy, we don't have people power, we have party power. And, and, and people are being, uh, um, excuse my language, bullshitted. And this Dutch apology is in that same vein as far as I can see. Um, it's not really dealing with an apology. Um, it's not really dealing with the condition that restitution is supposed to address. 
whether in the Cape or whether in uh, uh, um, Myanmar or, or Sulawesi or Sumatra, it's not dealing with that. It becomes a elite thing of speeches and records and then people say, okay, we've done the restitution thing. We've done the, 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 the apology thing. And that's where, you know, that really uh, uh, pees me off. <laughs> Indeed, and everything that you've shared uh, <clears throat> in these last few minutes uh, about your own personal story, about the socio-economic conditions that continue to plague South Africa, uh, Jerry, very much is linked to that initial story uh, as you've brought it together at the end of slavery, very much uh, an open wound and a living, living, living history. Uh, for those who have been on the receiving end in South Africa and all the other territories that you've mentioned, I do uh, encourage people to go ahead and uh, uh, interact with uh, the, the rich alternative histories that you've provided in your books, such as The Lie of 19, 1652, A Decolonized History of Land, and as you've mentioned, the other more uh, autobiographical book uh, called The Cleaner's Boy, A Resistance Road to a Liberated Life. Great chatting to you and I imagine uh, as is my intention to go into those books, there'll be much more to chat about uh, once we dive into that. I thank you so much uh, Tariq for speaking to us this evening. Have yourself a great week ahead, Shukran uh, and Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, I've, I've won, I've thank you. Bye.